Well, hello, all you sinners and sodomites. Josh here. Uh, life got in the way this last week, and we didn't get a chance to record. But instead of just taking the week off, we thought we would re-release episode 10. Uh, if you haven't listened to this episode previously, it's about a bunch of research that I did uh, into what secular biblical scholars could tell us about who wrote the Bible, why did they write it, when did they write it, and was it ever changed over the years? Also, we talk about what modern archaeology tells us about the actual history of the Levant region, which is Israel, Canaan, and all those surrounding areas. The things I learned really did blow my mind, and I cannot believe that this stuff isn't discussed more. Uh, and all of it will tie in when we're back in two weeks talking about the book of Joshua. So I hope you enjoy the episode. I have no idea how to sign off on something like this, so love you. Welcome, all you sinners and sodomites. It's episode 10 of Bible Stories for Atheists. I am Josh. My ears are blown out now. <laughs> I'm Linz. <laughs> we can't hear you over there. That's because I, I don't know why I thought backing away from my microphone would make your voice less loud. When you have headphones on. When I have headphones <laughs> going directly into my ear holes. Yeah. I'm Linz. Hi. <laughs> We are your guides to the awe-inspiringly artificial stories, literally, literarily littering the Bible. Woo! Uh, yeah, this is our 10th anniversary. We uh, we hit episode 10. We made it 10 episodes. Yeah. That's crazy. 10 anniversary is not a word. Yeah, it's, I mean, you know, there's, yeah, well, let's just go with it. <laughs> <laughs> but that's awesome. Yeah. I It went really fast. Yeah. I can't believe we're- We're going to be celebrating um, this every 10 episodes, you know? Oh, like- <laughs> Like a middle school couple. Right, exactly. Yes. Okay, all It's right. our one-week anniversary. Oh, my goodness. We actually made it a week. We you defied the get, odds. You didn't get me a ring. No. <laughs> get you a ring every 10 episodes. <laughs> yeah. That sounds like everyone. I want you to <laughs> respond to this exact podcast and tell Josh to get Lynn's a ring every 10 episodes. Right. <laughs> So yeah, we're digging into the actual biblical history of the 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 Bible, the first five books of the Bible specifically, um, and the archaeology of the Bible mm -hmm. and everything. Um, so this has been in the works for quite a while. Finally, getting this off our plate, which is yeah. going to be nice. Yeah. Um, and so to be clear, Josh is finally getting it off his plate. Yes. I had zero things to do with this research. Yes. Um, also, you get to learn what a huge nerd he is. I know. Yes. I became a big nerd huge. You, about the Bible in this. You became yeah. a big nerd? I know. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. He's That's a fair. big I directed my nerddom there you go. at yes. the Bible. The focus was on the Bible. Yes. Sit back, relax. I hope you enjoy this episode. It's it's a super mega long episode. Uh, mega. I don't know how long it's going to be by the time we edit, but it's it's going to be a big one. This is... Uh, <laughs> That's what she said. Just to bring it back around. Right. Yeah. Uh, this is episode 10, all about the he said, she said bullshit.
should have like figured out how we're going to start this episode at some point. You would think that would have been one of the things I would have worked on like leading the up intro to this. Or just like how to start talking. I guess how to start talking about it. I mean, I think we've done that already. I guess we have. Yeah. Just, yes, we have. Just so go, here we are. Here we are. Yeah. Right, right at the beginning. In fact, you could even say Hanani. <laughs> here I am. Here I am. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so I've been doing research for months now. Yep. Uh, Neglecting since, our relationship. Yep, yep. Um, <laughs> as the Lord intended. Just for all of you listeners. Yeah. <laughs> he loves you more than me. <laughs> I, <laughs> I love facts more than you. <laughs> I'm kind of breaking up this biblical history um, research that I did based on um, two things. So the history of the biblical text and then the, the archaeology of words and things, the area. Yeah. I wanted to go through a couple of resources I used for this. Um, Frodo's being naughty and talking during the podcast. He just got a face full of water. Yeah, he did. Cut that out. I don't want people to think I spray my cat with water. Why? <laughs> I, I mean, a lot of people spray their it cats feels with water. Mean. <laughs> I mean, to his perspective, it is, but he's also fine. <laughs> I felt bad after doing it. Yeah. He, <laughs> he looks, looks mad. He looks betrayed. <laughs> oh. Okay, anyway. Speaking of which, we're going to talk about Abraham and Isaac in this episode. Okay, great. <laughs> Where he sacrifices his son. <laughs> That's kind of the look Ab- Isaac probably had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> like he just got sprayed in the face with water. <laughs> Uh, so a couple of the resources I used for this, uh, for the biblical text, a big part of that was Who Wrote the Bible by Dr. Richard Elliot Friedman. It's a really great book. I recommend anybody who's interested in Christianity or Judaism to uh, read this because it talks about what we're going to be going into. And I'm we're really only going to be able to scratch the surface on it. Right. But there's so much more in this book. Another big source, um, there's a bunch of interviews out there with uh, Dr. Joel Baden. He talks about the same stuff, and he does a great job of explaining uh, a lot of these concepts. Finally, for the archaeology side of stuff, there's a bunch of YouTube videos out there from the Oriental Institute, which is part of the University of Chicago. Okay. They've been around for like 100 years or something. They do a bunch of archaeology lectures that they just have posted for free on YouTube. Um, and you can actually see, like, here's the archaeologists explaining their findings at ex- excavations they've done, telling you about how it fits into, like, the grander picture of all the other findings that have been found in the area, you know, to, to tell us how we know what we know okay. about the time and place. And then the last thing I want to say about this is we've got a post that I'm going to be posting with this episode on our website with with a bunch more information, like resources to links and stuff like that. Go to our website, biblestoriesforatheists.com or bsfa.cc. Look up this episode, episode 10, and you can get some more information. Nice. Yeah. So let's kick things off. All right. We're going to start off by going back to a story we covered, I think, in episode four. When Joseph gets sold into slavery. Oh, yes. You remember this? The boy in the hole. The boy in the hole. The boy yes. in the hole. Would you like to buy this boy? He's in a hole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure, it's totally fine. You can just buy this boy. You don't need any information about nope. him at all. No. Nope. You know? The main bullet points of the story goes like this. Joseph is going to go help his brother's 10 flock. Yep. So he's approaching them. They see him coming in the distance, and they decide they're going to kill him. Yep, because they're mad at him because... He had dreams. 
He had dreams. And a coat. Yeah. And he's he's daddy's favorite. Yeah. Right? He's a daddy's boy. Right. As right. evidenced by the coat. Yes. Yeah. As evidenced by the coat. And then, um, so the brothers see him come and they decide they're going to kill him. And then his brother Ruben chimes in and is like, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him in this empty cistern. And the idea being... Uh, he's just going to have a bad day, but Ruben will come back later and get him out and, right. you know, but he'll be fine. And the brothers agree to it and everything. And then they, and they throw him in the cistern. They seemed very easily convinced. Like they all were kind of like, let's yeah. kill him. And then Ruben's like whole. And they're like, all right, whole. All right. <laughs> okay. Whole. <laughs> That's what she said. Um, sorry. I've been watching a lot of the office lately. Mm. <laughs> So they do that, and then they start heading off to eat a meal when they see some Ishmaelite uh, merchants coming. Judah, the another brother, is like, wait, let's not kill our brother. Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites, and then we don't have to kill him, basically. Uh, which they had already decided not to kill him. Right. And they all agreed to do that. We don't. Ruben had left already. Maybe. We don't know. He had fucked off, I thought, because he we, was, he seemed very sad. Yeah. If he if he's still there, he doesn't say anything at this right. point. Right. Okay. So they just they agree to do it. Out of nowhere, these Midianites show up. And they see Joseph in the hole in the cistern, and they pull him up out of the cistern, right? Now, this is an important detail. Sounds like I'm just nerding out on you, but it's an important detail. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, depending on the translation you read, like in the new, t- um, the uh, NIV, uh, you're going to read his brothers pulled him out. The actual accurate translation is they pulled him out. Okay. And we know this because the only other time this word is used is when Jeremiah gets thrown in a cistern later in the Bible and some people who are not his brothers pull him out ah. of the cistern. So these Midianites pull him out of the cistern Next thing you know, his brothers are selling him to the Ishmaelites. So what happened to the Midians? So they so, just were like, well, "Let's save this boy." That's the question. Is so these Midianites pull him out. The brothers sell him to the Ishmaelites, and then Reuben shows back up and is like, "Where's Joseph?" Mm-hmm. And he mourns and he tears his clothes and stuff like that. The brothers take the robe and they dip it in blood and they show it to their father who yep. mourns and everything. And then right at the last verse of the chapter, it says that the Midianites sell Joseph to Potiphar in Egypt. So mm, we didn't co- so we didn't cover this in No, the- this was the first chapter of the first story I started researching. And I and I realized I kind of you and I were talking about this offline, um, I kind of realized, like, I feel like I was gaslit as a Christian to to think Mm -hmm. that I'm not smart enough to understand a lot of this stuff. Uh, So I was really confused by it. And I was like, oh, I just can't get it. Right. What is going on here? And I think the footnotes in the NIV were saying that Ishmaelites and Midianites are the same thing. And that's not true at all. They're two. That's why they have two different names. Right. Yeah, it's it's you kind of get gaslit into thinking like there's no possible way you can understand what's going on here, but it's really a confusing story, right? Well, and it, yes, yes, because yeah. they wrote it badly. Yeah, maybe, maybe they wrote it badly. Maybe, but but maybe the story should go something like this: Joseph approaches the brothers. The br- brothers decide they're going to kill him. Reuben's like, "Let's not kill him. Let's just throw him in this empty cistern." They do, and then they go off for a meal. 
Then Midianites show up, see Joseph in the cistern, pull him up out of there and take him to Egypt. Then Reuben comes back, sees he's gone, and mourns that he lost his brother. Mm-hmm. And then the Midianites sell him to Potiphar in Egypt. That makes sense, doesn't it? Like, that's just Yeah, a, the brothers didn't do any of the selling. The Midian, Midianites just, just found him. Stole a 17-year-old boy. That they came across, yeah. Right. And then Reuben's like, oh my God, I lost him. Right. You know? Makes sense. A 17-year-old boy. You yeah. just lost a boy. Right. Or maybe the story is supposed to go like this. Joseph approaches the brothers. Brothers decide they're going to kill him. And they strip him of his robe. They see Ishmaelite merchants coming. Judah is the one to save him. And he says, you know, let's just sell him to the Ishmaelites and not actually kill him. Brothers agree. And he gets sold. And they and the Ishmaelites take so him. No and, then they, and then they dip his robe in blood and they give it to their father. Mm-hmm. Right. And so no he never gets thrown no in the hole. cistern. Okay. That also is a story that kind of makes sense, mm-hmm. right? This is two different stories, two different versions of the exact same story cut up intricately into each other to try and make one narrative with all the same with with all those disparate details. Right. Because some people would have heard about Midianites, some people would have heard about Ishmaelites. So they intricately cut these two stories together. Yeah, I don't together. know if intricate is the right word. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we'll get we'll get into it. Like that, but this is the thing is like it took, you know, over a thousand years for people to notice this. Right. Even like for you and people to realize that this is two different stories being told at the same time. So they obviously did something right. With, with how they went about doing yeah, this. Yeah, or you know. people just don't actually really read the Bible <laughs> is the other yeah. option. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> so another really great example of this is the story of Noah. This is so good. I really wanted to read it out, but it uh, spans a couple chapters, so I realized that's probably not a great no. uh, thing for podcasting. Mm-mm. But these are both going to be on the website where on the post for this episode where I split out these two different stories and you can see how they interact with or how they work together. So the story of Noah, most people probably, you probably even know like the base details of it. Like, yeah, he builds a boat, builds a boat and he puts two of each animal on it. Right. And then the world floods. Yeah. And people laughed at him and people laughed at him. And how long did it rain? 40 days and 40 nights. Right. It's actually but, just 40 days that the Bible well, says. Well, and yes. I know that because of jars of clay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's why I know that. Right. And then, um, uh, you, I, I don't know if you remember this, but he sends out a dove to see if the, the land is dry uh, yet. Nope. And then um, afterwards, there's the rainbow because God promises never to send a flood again. And that's the sign um, that he's never, never, never send a flood. Well, he went back on that, didn't he? There's been all kinds of floods. Well, like a massive, like world ending flood. Oh. You know? I mean, I know we're not talking about Noah right now and we could probably get this to, at some point. Yeah. Right. But they don't know that the whole world flooded. It's not like Noah sailed around the world. Right. In 40 days. Right. You can only go around the world on air balloon in 80 days, so a boat would be much longer. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Noah hadn't read Jules Verne. (laughs) So he's assuming, and the Bible is assuming and presuming that the whole world flooded, but it could have just been a localized flood. Right, yeah. 
I mean, there's a lot of issues yes. with it, but okay. the issues specifically that we're going to be talking about are the fact that the Bible also says that he should take seven pairs of clean animals and one pair of unclean animals. It also says that the rains or the flooding lasted 150 days. It also says that he sends out a raven. Mm. Uh, so these disparate details, these 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 contradictory contradictory details are called doublets, and they're a dead giveaway of two stories being overlaid on top of each other. So when you separate those out, uh, so that you kind of like put all of the ones that belong to one writer and all the ones that belong to another writer together, you get two complete stories. Mm -hmm. And I mean complete stories with almost no gaps from editing with different details. And they have completely different writing styles as well. Mm -hmm. One is like, just basically says, Noah, take your family onto the boat. God closes the the door to the boat. And that one, um, he was taking seven pairs of clean animals, one pair of unclean animals. I just don't know what the what a clean animal and an unclean animal is, but we, that's yeah. not, we don't got to get into those details. Yeah, like essentially ones that are fit for sacrifice and stuff like that. Yeah, and how Noah knew what a clean animal was, though, is unclear because... Sure. And it really doesn't matter because God's sending them to Noah anyway. Right. So he doesn't even have to figure that stuff out, I don't think. Okay. But seven pairs clean animals, one pair unclean animals. And then um, the rain lasts 40 days. He sends out, I think, a dove in that version. And then he offers sacrifices afterwards, which he's able to do because he has seven pairs of clean animals, right? In the other version, this version gets very anal about how big the ark should be, the dimensions of the ark, and what it should be made of, mm. and what the specifications are for the ark. In that version, he only takes two pairs, or one pair of every animal. Uh, the, the rains and the flooding last for 150 days. Okay. He's out there for, I think, like seven or eight months before it finally, like, the waters die down enough that he lands in a specific place, mm-hmm. like, this mountain range in Armenia. Like the boats on top of a mountain? Yeah. Like there are Christians out there who think they know where the Ark, the ark is. is. And there's a tradition that it's the specific mountain range where it is. But um, like obviously people have said, yeah, people have said that they found it and brought wood back from the Ark and everything. And it's all bullshit. Yeah. Because nobody can find it again. Anyway, so so there's all that stuff. And then he doesn't do any sacrifices afterwards because he only has one pair of each animal. And you get a very distinct voice for each person. One is very, like I said, anal, very detail-oriented. And then another one who doesn't care so much about that. It's more about character development and the relationship with God and things like that. Mm-hmm. It's like the version that they use, like, like, um, holy people would use to like pass down through history. And then like the version moms told their kids. It really is. That's a really <laughs> great observation to, to it. Cause yeah, that really is like the, the one that is ironically like the only detail from the, the more anally, anally driven. 
technically driven. More technically driven. <laughs> That's a better way of putting this. It is. I really don't want to keep having to say anal. Yeah, I mean it's a good term, but it's been it's been taken over by the porn industry. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the more technically driven story of this, the only detail from that that has worked its way into children's book books has been the two of every animal. Right. Everything else has been from this other version. One thing that's interesting to think about, though, is like where else have we seen very technically driven storytelling in the Bible where they were like, this is exactly how you build this. This is the materials you use. Oh, and they made the things in the desert, right? Yeah, for like the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, and um, all that stuff, all the stuff that went along with it. It's very technically Mm -hmm. written stuff. Maybe those are the same writers. Right. And you can start figuring out like, okay, this person wrote this and this. And then where else can we find this kind of style of writing throughout the Bible? Yep. Right? And this is called the documentary hypothesis. Biblical scholars have found that the first five books of the Bible, which have traditionally been attributed to Moses Mm -hmm. as having written them, actually was written by at least four different people. And they were compiled together into one narrative by somebody. Right. And all this stuff happened in times you would not think, like much more recent sure, than you would have thought. No, no. And then Christians would have thought. Yeah. Well, not, yeah. Not, <laughs> not me. <laughs> right, right. But, but you know, typically you think of the Bible, you think it's got to be like, you know, back in 1500 BCE, that stuff would have been written and everything. And it's totally not the case. It's no, yeah, it's much more recent yeah, than, than I that. I assume some king had it had it put together for his benefit. Yeah, somewhere in like 1600 AD. Yeah, it's not quite it's not quite that, but you're not far off. So we'll get into what the theory is. Okay. And this is like really a lot of this again is coming from Dr. Richard Elliott Friedman's book. You know, this stuff is still debated, like what is written by which source mm-hmm. and um how what the criteria is for determining that and stuff like that. But what isn't really debated because it's so obvious is that multiple people did write this stuff. I mean, so let's even just think about the voice that if Moses wrote it, he's writing about himself in the third person and being very complimentary to himself in a fashion that doesn't align with the type of person he was supposed to be. There is a verse, I think it's in Numbers, where it says Moses was the most humble man on earth. Yeah, yeah, we went over that. I yeah, think, well, there no, the there's episodes. there's another one where it talked about how uh, the Egyptians saw him as like had held him in high regard oh, or right. something like that, which is another and then listed a bunch of his positive attributes, something like which, that. Which yeah. I mean, people do talk about themselves in those sort of complimentary ways, yeah. but also like that's not it's it was part of his daily affirmations. It's <laughs> it's a complete opposition to like the t- sort of temperament he was meant to have yeah. as a character. Yeah. Another another good giveaway that he didn't write um, the first five books of the Bible is at the end of the fifth book, he dies. Right. Oh, so, yeah, it's hard to write a book yeah. when you're dead. Yeah. So um, for a long time, the position for from the religious folks have been that he wrote everything except that verse and the most humble man on earth verse. Ah. Like those were added later, yeah. but everything else he wrote. When did he have time to do that? 
I don't know. He was know. doing a lot of stuff. Yeah. He had, he had a lot on his mind. I mean, if anything, he had somebody following him around, ghostwriting it for right. him. And and I still think that would have been super weird. And like, even that, that is not the case. No. Right. <laughs> like, as we'll show here. <laughs> so, like I said, this is the documentary hypothesis. This hit the mainstream in the late 1800s by a man named Julius Wellhausen, who was a German uh, biblical scholar. He kind of compiled together a bunch of different ideas uh, around this that had been circulating for literally centuries. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember when the first one started popping up. I want to say it was like 500 years ago, but it took a while before the Catholic Church wasn't like, no, yeah, stop it, right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So in order to talk about who these people were that wrote the these four different versions, we need to go through a little bit of history a little bit of biblical history. This is history according to the Bible. Okay. Um, after Exodus, after the um, Israelites wander the desert for 40, 40 years, we get to Joshua, uh, the next in line from Moses, conquering Canaan, right? And he takes out all their enemies in Canaan and he establishes the land of Israel, fulfilling the covenant God made with Abraham. Okay. Right? Giving them that land. For a while, they're ruled over by judges, and then eventually they wanted to have a king. The people wanted a king, which I find dubious of. Yeah, Yeah. I'm a little dubious of. But then, so we get King Saul. Um, He falls out with God after a little bit, um, and then some shady stuff happens, and David takes over. Uh, There are people in the northern region of the kingdom uh, who are pissed off about that because David is from the tribe of Judah, which is huge. Okay. It's a huge tribe, by far the biggest yeah, tribe. Judah sired a lot of children who then had a lot of children who then right. had a lot of children. Yeah, yeah. kind of, yeah. So, um, he was the guy that got his son's wife knocked up, right? Yes. So, okay. Yes. All right. that, that's the story that comes right after yeah. uh, him, uh, right after Joseph getting sold into slavery. Yep. yep. So for a little bit, there's the split kingdom where there's the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. They end up reuniting, though, and then we have a unified kingdom of Israel again under King David. And then there's Solomon, his son, who takes over. Solomon really favors the south over the north. Like, he sets up all these fortifications along the southern border between them and Egypt. Ah. But he neglects mm. the northern tribes okay. where they have Assyria, the the Assyrian Empire, staring them down. Which this leads to one other side point. It's important to reckon, recognize that this is the land between superpowers that we're talking about here. Like this is really borderland between the, the Egyptian Empire, the Assyrian Empire, the Babylonian Empire, which is uh, to the west. Mm-hmm. And then um, across the Mediterranean, you got the Greeks and the Romans, you know, bunch of superpowers. Persians are going to show up eventually, you know, bunch of superpowers. And this is the borderland between them, okay. right? So anyway, he neglects the North when it comes to and that pisses everybody off. Uh, and then he imposes a MISSIM tax, M-I-S-S-I-M. And this is a tax of physical labor, where once a one one month out of every year, you have to give physical labor to the crown, basically. Okay. And he does this, if I remember correctly, 
to every tribe except the tribe of Judah. Mm. And then on top of that, he exiles these priests of Shiloh who are descendants of Moses. Um, he builds uh, the first temple, um, and then he puts only descendants of Aaron in charge of that temple, right? So the descendants of Moses get exiled. Gotcha. And there's a lot more to it. This is really just broad strokes, um, just to kind of give you an idea of it. And then we get to around 930 BCE when we start getting into verifiable history where we can say, like, all right, we definitely know these people existed. Whether or not these stories happened, that's debatable. Right. Sometimes we know for a fact that they didn't happen the way that it said and stuff. But we get his son, Solomon's son, Rehoboam, who uh, takes over. Rehoboam? Yes, Rehoboam. And as coronation, um, representatives from the north ask him, like, are you planning on continuing your father's policies here? Because you are you guys are killing us. <laughs> like, right. We need the some sucks. relief. You know, yeah. yeah. And he's like, no, yeah, I'm going to keep doing what my dad was doing. And so they split again. Okay. And we have a northern kingdom of Israel and a southern kingdom of Judah. In the northern kingdom, they they put somebody in charge named Jeroboam. They both mean essentially the same thing, which is to expand your country. That seems very convenient. Yeah. So it seems like, it it sounds like these people. Jeroboam and Rehoboam. It sounds like they they chose their name for being king, right? Um, So that's 930 BCE that they split. And then 722 BCE, the northern kingdom falls to Assyria. And we get a whole bunch of people deported to Assyria. So this is known as the lost 10 tribes of Israel because traditionally uh, the southern southern kingdom was Judah and then also I think Benjamin was the two tribes that kind of occupied that land. And then they call this the lost 10 tribes where like those people are just gone and they must have gotten assimilated into Assyrian culture and stuff like that. Gotcha. Never to be seen again type of thing. But then there was a bunch of people who escaped to the southern kingdom of Judah, right? So we're back to a unified country of Judah um, because there is no more northern kingdom of Israel. 587 BC, Babylon conquers the southern kingdom. So they are completely wiped out at this point. The temple gets looted, and then gets destroyed, okay. which is where the Ark of the Covenant was. Ah. Right? So this is when we lose the Ark of the Covenant. Okay. And we have no idea what happened to it. Until Indiana Jones Until finds Indiana it. Jones finds it. Yep. Right. And then that guy's face melts off. Yep. 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 And then it gets lost in the U.S. government bureaucracy. Right. As do most things. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we go into this, this period called the exile in Egypt, where a bunch of people who weren't deported to Babylonia, which was a lot, or Babylon, was a lot of people who got deported to Babylon. How do you get deported to a country that you're not from? It's the term that they use for it. Like they literally, but it, I don't know why, but they call it deportation still. Okay. But the people who don't get deported are in escape to Egypt, ironically. Yeah. It's like going back to a, when you, when you're in a string of like abusive relationships and yeah. and then you're like, I'm just going to go back to the first one. It was right. like the least worst, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So then uh, the Persian emperor, emperor Cyrus shows up and defeats Babylon. 
There's this a really the 300? great. Oh no, that was the Spartans. Yeah, no, this is not far off from that time though. Because yeah. right around then, I can't remember exactly when it showed up in my research that Xerxes yeah. was right around then. And um, you know, that was the emperor from right. 300. So just in case people don't realize, this the 300 movie, which is based on a great Frank Miller trade paperback, is actually based in like a story yeah. that about the 300 Spartans that took on the, a Persian army. Right. So Dan Carlin has this uh, podcast that's really popular called Hardcore History, one of which he did was called King of Kings that talked about Emperor Cyrus. And apparently he was beloved mm. by people like foreign leaders, the people of foreign lands, everybody loved this guy for okay. some reason. And one of the reasons is probably he, when he defeated Babylon, he gave back all the land to the people that the, Babyloni the Babylonians had taken it from. Oh. So he gives back It's like Israel. Robin Hood. Yeah, kind of. A little bit of a Robin Hood story. A little bit, yeah. So he takes, he gives back the land of, of, uh, Israel of Canaan to the Israelites and um, they're able to come back from Egypt and uh, come back from Babylonia. I mean, I'm just saying that's an excellent way to build geopolitical like followers. Yeah. You know, I mean, they yeah, may not, goodwill. they may not be a part of your kingdom, but they will not like they'll be on your side. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So they're just really smart strategic moves. Yeah. And so that exile lasts about 50 years. It's uh, 538 when he when he gives back the land. Um, he also gives back all the temple goods that got stolen, except we never hear about the ark. Yeah. yeah. Nobody ever brings it up. Somebody opened it. Their face Somebody, it Yeah, that's, that's what happened. <laughs> yeah, so no mention of the ark, um, but they do start building the second temple at that point. So that's the basic history we need to go over. Biblical to, history yeah, from the Bible. From the Bible, but also with some verifiable okay. stuff in there as well. Some some stuff. So who were these sources who wrote the Bible, right? The first one I want to talk about is the Yahwist. This is uh, somebody who refers to God as Yahweh throughout the entirety of their writing. Okay. The Yahwist, according to Friedman is from Judah, uh, the southern kingdom of Judah. Likely this would have this writing would have happened during that time period of when we have the split kingdom under Rehoboam and Jeroboam. Okay. Okay. So the second split. Right. Technically the yeah. second split, the one that lasts for, for a very okay. long time. Yep. So uh, the Yahwist, also known as the J source, I'll probably refer to them often as the J source. It feels anti-Semitic when you say that. J-source. Well, they're all known by the, the letters. So okay. there's J, E, P, and D. Okay. So. All right. Just yeah. I just wanted to get ahead of that. Though. That seemed, it made me feel uncomfortable when you said it. Oh, okay. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, those, those are the ones. And then there's R, which is the redactor, the person who, the person or persons who compiled together okay. all the writings. Um, and also contributed a little bit of writings themselves. So the the J source, the Yahwist, uh, comes from the southern kingdom of Judah. We can tell this because of slants in their writing that favor the south. Okay. Um, like, for example, the story of Judah and Tamar, his daughter-in-law. Yep. That's entirely the J source. Okay. 
one of the character traits of the Yahwist is also that he's really focused on the patriarchs, really cares about that kind of stuff. Like uh, um, most of Jacob is from the Yahwist. The other version of uh, of Noah is the Yahwist, the one that's more like mothers telling their kids. Okay. Is Flowery. the Yahwist. Yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, really cares about the relationship of God and hum- between God and humans and stuff like that. Friedman thinks that he or she may have been a representative of the court in the southern kingdom of Judah. And this is actually the only one that could have been a she because the other ones are most likely priests. Oh, right. Uh, And they did have, if this was a judge or something like that, they did have female judges. Okay. And they, one of the pieces of evidence he thinks suggests that this might be a woman is the story of Judah and Tamar. Um, because she ends up becoming sort of vindicated at the end and things right. like that, you know? Yeah. She wouldn't have just been making these stories up, though, right? She This would have been stuff, like things that were passed down. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's not like she was there for everything. Right. There's stuff that would have been passed down. There's stuff that, um, that like, poems that show up that they think are much older writings than, okay. than the uh, rest of the text around it. Uh, so they would have been, she would have been pulling from sources other than. She was doing a research paper. Yeah. 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 Okay. And then very closely tied to the J source is the E source, the Elohist. And this is somebody who referred to God as Elohim throughout uh, most of the, throughout Genesis and the beginning of Exodus until we get to the burning bush. And God says, you know, my name is Yahweh. Uh Uh-huh. That's when he would switch to saying Yahweh okay. for God. Uh, this is somebody who was from the northern kingdom of Israel. So he, they were both writing this around the same time. Somebody would have wrote, written their version first, and then the other person wrote it, wrote their version as a response to it. Oh, like a rap battle. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so this is so this person was from the northern kingdom of Israel, uh, most likely a mosaic priest, so like somebody descended from Moses. Biggie Tupac thing going on. Yeah, here. it kind of was. East yeah. Coast, West Coast. <laughs> it kind of like they take swipes at each other yeah. in their text, uh, which is why so which is why there's so much conflicting stuff. Right. Um, so yeah, this is most likely a mosaic priest, somebody descended from Moses from Shiloh, the, those priests that got exiled. Right. Um, and they remained exiled, actually, under Jeroboam. So they were exiled, essentially, from both countries, but they had uh, an affinity for the north, right? Okay. They, they liked the north still. In Exodus, they, uh, ref- the e-source refers to the slave drivers as officers of Misim, which is a giveaway that they did not like the Misim tax. Yes. Um and likely these two sources were combined together once the northern kingdom fell. So the way I look at these is they were likely both national histories that they had compiled, right? One compiled one first, and then somebody was like, well, we need one. Right. So then they compiled theirs. And then when the northern kingdom falls, there's people who all these, these, um, these refugees from the north coming into the south who know the e-source and know that text, and they decided to unify them okay. uh, by by cutting them up into each other and, and uh, sharing the same details and stuff like that. And that's how we actually get the, you remember the stories of Abraham going to 
Egypt and saying his wife is his sister yes, and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah, we get three of the exact same stories mm-hmm. in there where they're saying their wives are their sisters and everything. We Two of those are J-source when Abraham goes to Egypt and then when Isaac goes to Abimelech. Okay, so and in their story, the, Abraham didn't do the same thing twice. Right. But in the E-source, we only get one version of that story, which is Abraham going to Abimelech. So it's like a combination of those other two. Right. You know? Yeah. And most likely, these are a lot of these are stories that were told um, in tribes, you know, like yeah. different versions of them are in, in tribes and stuff like that. And uh, they, people had different ideas of, of how they happened. And so these people were probably individually trying to compile those together, mm-hmm. like all of these little national stories. Yeah, and they just couldn't decide which one to traditions. edit out, and instead they just made that family look like a bunch yeah, they of con didn't, men. They didn't care. Like, <laughs> like it really, like, yeah, it wasn't, like, meant to be historically accurate at all. Right. Actually, it's, it's um, you know, just meant to, like, document those those stories of their people. Like, so we all know, like, Sleeping Beauty and, yeah. and all of those. So, like, the Grimm's fairy tales. Yeah. I mean, there's a hundred different versions of those fairy tales. Yeah. Right? They're not, the the Grimm brothers didn't originate those tales. Right. They just wrote them down. Right. Um, and they're very dark, but we know versions of those stories that aren't very dark. Yeah. Um, and I've read like five different versions of Sleeping Beauty where, you know, she's called something else. Or things like that, and it's if you if you combine them into one story, then you get this really fucked up story, right? Yeah. Uh, that just, I mean, it's some it's a something that people do with oral tradition. I think is is take all of these stories and combine them, and they're not necessarily concerned with like making the puzzle pieces fit together, right? Yeah. At all. Yeah. Which is not great. Actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it makes things very confusing. Right. Yeah, this, and, and like I said, yeah, this would likely have been just oral traditions. A lot, big reason why we have so many stories throughout uh, Genesis where we're like, and this is why this is named this. Right. You know, this place is named this. is because of this. It's It's because, you know, your kid asks you, why is this place called where we live? called Bethel. Right. And then you tell like, them a story. It's because Jacob saw the stairway to heaven here. Right. You know? Yep. Um, and so that's what they were documenting was all those stories, really. Um, as well as talking about creation, although the E-source does not have a creation story, which is interesting. It's just the J-source that has okay. that. And so does the P-source, our next source <laughs> we're talking about. The P-source. Also no child. I know. <laughs> Ironically, this is the anal source. Um <laughs> and they are anal because they are the priestly source. Ah. Oh. Oh. So yeah, the priestly source. So J and E got combined. According to Friedman, he thinks this is most likely J and E got combined in 722 or around then when the northern kingdom fell. The priestly source, he thinks, is likely a response to the J and E source. Okay. So those gain a lot of popularity probably in the area. But the priests essentially have a problem with it because this leans – the J and E source leans very heavily on you can have a personal relationship with God. Right. 
you know, anybody yeah. can anybody can offer sacrifices. God talks to people. God comes down and interacts with people and stuff like that. Priests don't like that. No, because why you need them then? Exactly. Yeah. You need the only way to communicate with God is through us, through sacrifices that we have learned how to do. Yep. It's essentially magic, right? Yep. Like learning how to perform the right rites and rituals in order to communicate with mm-hmm. the other side. So, so this is likely sometime after the Northern Fall. In their text, there are no sacrifices that are performed until Aaron mm. uh, is consecrated as a priest. Uh, there are no angels. There's no anthropomorphism, which is where God comes down and interacts with us like like he's a person, like right. God wrestling no Jacob. Wrestling, yeah. yeah, yeah, stuff like that no, never happens. Uh, there's no prophetic dreams like in like with Joseph. God is not merciful. God requires sacrifices in order to show mercy. Okay. They, they, so Jafar, they, they're Jafar from Aladdin. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> a bad genie. Yeah. <laughs> in the end. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's, there's a second, which we haven't co- covered, but there's a second version of rock water where Moses strikes a rock and water comes out. Mm-hmm. There's a second version that happens in Numbers. It's uh, Numbers 20, verse 2 through 13. In that, Moses is told by God to talk to the rock to let water pour out of it. And Moses shows up uh, in front of all the people and it's like, are we going to get water from this rock? It's like kind of sounds showboaty yeah. and stuff. What? Yeah. <laughs> And the people are like, yeah, <laughs> something like that. Rock water, rock, rock water, water, rock water, rock water. <laughs> and then Moses strikes the rock with his staff and water pours out of it. And God gets so pissed off at him that he's like, you're never going to see the promised land. Because he hit the rock or because he did it in front of people? or Nobody knows. Nobody knows what exactly the transgression was that got this to happen. But he, God basically said that nobody who was still alive when you, who was alive when you left Egypt would be alive to see the promised land, including Moses. Which is why, literally, at the end of Deuteronomy, Moses dies and then jo- the book of Joshua picks up right after that and God is like, Go into Canaan, like cross the Jordan River, right. go into Canaan. As soon as Moses dies, they were allowed to go in. Wow. The priestly text takes a big swipe at Moses with this. Okay. Because they do not think that people descended from Moses should be priests. Right. So they're taking a swipe at Moses with this. They have a much shorter, another attribute of their text is they have a much shorter version of Genesis and they're kind of rushing to when Aaron shows up. Right, so that's their oh, big so focus. Oh, so they're the Aaron fan club. They're the Aaron Cause priests because he's he's, uh, he's the guy that is becomes the priest, right? Right, because he was the magician. Right, he becomes the priest, but that's according to the priestly text. Right, right. Like that's the thing that's yeah. interesting about this stuff. So it's this this duality between or this the this duel between mm-hmm. the two uh, priests, the two families, really that keep getting brought up throughout yeah. this text. All right, so that's the priestly text. Okay. Last one is called the D-source mm-hmm. or the Deuteronomist. Now, the, uh, Deuteron- the, the Deuteronomist is responsible for the book of Deuteronomy, like the law code and stuff like okay. that. Um, but then also 
uh, Joshua, Judges, First and Second Samuel, and First and Second Kings, which is the Deuteronomic history. So, like, if you just read all of those together, yeah, it would all tie in together. They, they do, yeah. Okay. They they they're one narrative history gotcha. of the people. Okay. Um, so different phases of their history essentially yeah. all tied together. The um, the Bible's a bit like a choose your own adventure book. Kinda. I mean. <laughs> In a lot of ways, you can build your own religion around <laughs> picking and choosing verses. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> he does think that likely this was two different writers, that somebody first wrote the law of Deuteronomy, and somebody later wrote the history mm. of Deuteronomy, like mm-hmm. that, that built all of it together. Friedman actually specifically thinks it was Jeremiah, um, this, this prophet later on who um, wrote this. He thinks that because uh, Jeremiah's book is very similar okay. in style and everything to De- Deuteronomy. And we know it's it, there's confirmation that this person actually existed. I think so. I think okay. we're pretty, it, I think we're in the territory of safe to say they did exist. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So the, the book of Deuteronomy is quote unquote discovered in his time. Mm. Um, his father uh, Jeremiah's father found the book of law, and this is in 2 Kings 22.8 and 2 Chronicles 34.15. Both of those verses talk about the story where Hilkiah, uh, Hil- 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 I can't remember the name uh, of the priest. His father, something, I can't remember off the top of my head, but um, he found the book of law and gave it to King Josiah who suddenly started like following all of these laws of Deuteronomy. It doesn't specifically say Deuteronomy or anything like that, but it's kind of widely accepted that this was the right. book of Deuteronomy that they found in the temple. Yeah. I and, mean, the Book of Mormon was found in a mountain. Right? Yeah. Something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so they, they find this and Josiah starts living by all these laws and he's considered this great king because of it and everything. The D source never, almost never quotes the P source. Like they <laughs> quote the J and E sources all the time. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> D never quotes P. Yeah. <laughs> just quotes J and E. Yeah. Like mostly, like they, they do quote P source a little bit, but you know, in Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 8, 8, he calls a Torah a lie. Like there's there's this Torah out there that he's calling a lie, and likely, according to Friedman, this is likely a rejection of the peace source, which is floating around, has probably been floating around for a couple hundred years now, ah. or not a couple hundred years ago now, but maybe a hundred years at this point. Gotcha. Right. So I know it's complicated stuff. I know. I and, feel like I need like a like a timeline. Yes, I Would actually be super helpful. Or like a family tree-esque sort of thing. Um, but also just hearing you talk makes me realize as little as I knew about the Bible. Oh, look at that. I, I made a timeline. Nice. As little as I knew about the Bible, like there's so many books of the Bible. Like I, you keep naming these books of the Bible and I'm like, yeah. what? What? Yeah. What book? <laughs> yeah. And then finally, we're going to talk about the redactor, the last person who put all of this stuff together. 
We're just talking about Old Testament, or are you talking about this? This is specifically the first five books of the Bible. According to Friedman, he thinks likely this was Ezra, who has his own book of the Bible and stuff. This was this would have been around 458 BCE that he would have compiled all this stuff together. Um, This is after the exile has been done, and um, they're rebuilding Jerusalem. He gets put in charge by King Artaxerxes. I think is how you would pronounce this. Sounds fine. King Artaxerxes of Persia. He's actually put in charge by him to uh, help rebuild the temple and um, is given a ton of resources to do so. And in a letter that is documented in the Bible, Artaxerxes says that Ezra has the law of God in his hand, like literally is carrying a book of God. Mm. And this is the Torah. Okay. Right. This so is the P source. No, this is like the combined one. Oh. Is what is what Friedman suggests. Okay. Is that basically after they went into exile and everything, when Ezra comes back and he is put in charge of essentially reinstituting the national religion. Right. He's he's set in charge of doing all that, and so likely he was the one who combined all of these together. Um, or somebody who worked with him right. combined all of these these works together into one unified writing. Right. Friedman does a great job of like calling out like just the artistry in how he did this. Okay. And and how it like creates patterns that aren't really there for a lot of people. Ah. Um, because you know, if these two stories that weren't supposed to go next to each other end up going next to each other. And then that creates new, you know, ideas of what right. it all means and everything. And yeah. So, yeah. Um, a little, some, some, some problems. Right. Right. But like the story of Joseph having yeah. conflicting. Right. Uh, details. And but, stuff like you that. know, if you're combining four different sources, I guess, with very different voices, you're going to run into those. Issues, I guess. Yeah, and you need to have... Also, it's like old-timey days. You're probably yeah. doing like a whole actual cutting it out with scissors and like... Literally. Together. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's literally what they would have been doing. Yep. It's clear, too, that one of his prerogatives was to preserve as much of the original text as possible. Okay. So let's And get- thusly, he created the job of editing. Right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Ezra, the first editor. Right. Do you struggle with your memory? Is your libido not what it used to be? Hemorrhoids. What if I told you there was a miracle vitamin supplement that is an absolute cure-all? That's right. I'm talking about God. God, able to cure any disease that is curable by a medication you're also taking. How does it work? I'm glad you asked. It's not for us to know. The important thing is that it does work. If you believe hard enough, it will cure anything. Will it cure my amputated finger? For only 10% of your income forever, you too can feel like a young bull again. But I'm a woman. Use promo code BSFA at checkout to make sure some of that 10% comes our way because we need it. God doesn't cure poor. This offer is not valid in Canada. There's socialist heathens up there. So what I want to kind of do next is actually look at some stories 
that uh, change based on what we know. The story of Abraham and Isaac, where Abraham's going to kill his son. We never really talked about this um, on the podcast, but we, it's a very short story. It's, it's less than a chapter long. Um, The basic bullet points of it is God comes to Abraham says, I want you to kill your son. You're going to go do it on this mountain. I'll tell you where to go. Basically, Abraham's like, all right. And is it his only son? It's his only son. Mm. He, um, and there's there earlier, you know, um, it talks about like, like God tells him he's going to give him this son. And Abraham, if I remember right, falls down laughing at God because his he was a hundred years old and his wife was 90. And he's oh. like, is a 90-year-old woman actually going to have a baby? Right. You know? And then she does. So God, you know, tells him to kill his son. He says, All right, I'll do it. And then the next morning they he gets a couple servants together, um, gets Isaac, and they pack up and they head out to go and they journey for three days to do this. I'm assuming no one told the mom Isaac. Oh, told Isaac? No. That this is nope. what was happening. Also, yes, the mom. Because if I were 90 and pushed a child out of my vagina and then God was like, now you're going to kill it, I'd be like, no. Yeah. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Right. <laughs> no, she doesn't get a say in this. Ugh. No. Um, I'm surprised women aren't the source of all atheism. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> They are. That's why we need to repress them. (laughs) I mean, that all makes sense now. (laughs) So they head out for three days on this journey. They gather some firewood because they need to do a burnt offering. Um, And then there's this really brutal story. They leave, they leave the servants behind when they get to the mountain um, and they're walking up the mountain. Um, Isaac, Abraham has Isaac carrying the wood for the fire. The word the wood that's gonna set him on fire. Yeah. And then Abraham's carrying the fire, which I'm guessing is a torch. <laughs> okay. <laughs> which I'm guessing of some sort. Yeah. And then also carrying the knife. Ah. And then there's this brutal interaction in the story where Isaac says, Father. And Abraham's like, Yes, my son. And he goes, We have wood and fire, but where is the lamb for the sacrifice? And Abraham just says, Shut up, sheep. <laughs> God, <laughs> God will provide the lamb. And uh, it's just like, it's, oh, it's yeah. so sad and yeah. brutal and everything. They get the the pyre set up. I'm guessing, I can't remember what exactly they call it, but uh, they get the wood set up. Um, Abraham binds Isaac, um, I'm guessing by the hands, and sets him on the wood and then takes the knife and has it to his throat. And then something changes in the story at this point. Okay. Two things pop up. A new character shows up, and the name of God changes. Up to this point, God has been called Elohim. Okay. All of a sudden, the angel of Yahweh shows up. Mm. The angel of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Uh, he the shows ever up. ever-elusive angel of yes. the Lord. And the angel of the, of the Lord, the angel of Yahweh is what tells him to not sacrifice his son, but actually, uh, you know, just sacrifice this ram that's hiding in a bush nearby. Whoa, 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 man. We just wanted to see if you would do it. Right. And clearly you will. You don't actually got to. Yeah. All of a sudden, this is a story of God playing chicken with him, you know? 
Um, so, so, and it's not God talking to him. It's the angel of Yahweh talking to him. Right. So there's two references in the verse, verse 11, and then halfway through verse 16 to you, the angel of Yahweh. So let's say, let's just imagine this part is written by somebody else in the rest of the story. And let's just cut that out for a second. Cut out the Ram. Yeah. And let's just pretend like. The sacrifice is actually... Right. So verse 11 through halfway through verse 16, let's cut that out and let's see what happens, right? So Abraham's about to cut his son's throat. Right. There's an edit, a gap in the story. And we come back to God saying, because you did not spare your... Because you did not spare from me your son, uh, I will make your descendants, you know, like the stars in the sky and the sands on the seashore and everything because you obeyed me, essentially, is what he's saying, right? Okay. Which is very ominous. But what's even worse is the last verse of this story where it says, Abraham returned to his servants. It never mentions Isaac. But Isaac is in the rest of the book. Like, he shows up. Not in the rest of the e-source. Ah. The e-text does not have Isaac in it at, again. Yeah. I mean, it's really disheartening to follow a religion where God makes you kill your only son. Right. So what the, he thinks is likely they when they combined the E and the J source, they changed the story yeah. at that point because right. human sacrifice was uncouth. Right. Well, also, yeah. 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 Of course it was. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then the, the, the J source, which we said was the woman source, right? Might have been. Might May have been, I mean, yeah. We're just going to lean on that, like I said. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they didn't have this story at all. At all. Okay. No. So. Cared way more about Ju- uh, Jacob than about Isaac or Abraham. So where would have the new, like the ram part of the story? That would have come from a redactor who okay. put together those two. And then add, added filler. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Most likely is what they think happened. And really, at the end of the day, there's no way we can really know when this text showed up. But the fact that the name of God changes suddenly to just to, and it clearly is only in this one little section. Right. um, That says a lot about uh, where this story probably originally went, you know. One thing I haven't pointed out yet is that in the back, back of Who Wrote the Bible by Richard Elliott Friedman, which everybody should pick up. Um, is a, they have this whole table, um, several pages long, this whole table that shows all the different verses, uh, which source they belong to. Okay. And so what I did was I went to Goodwill, bought mm. all of the Bibles they had there for went 99 cents Goodwill without each. me? Yes. You're such a dick. I know. <laughs> I mean, yes, it was such a great trip. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure the person checking you out was like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> it's probably not the weirdest thing they saw that day. <laughs> it's true. So I bought all the Bibles that they had. The only NIV that they had, it was only like three. I was really surprised. Yeah. Like I thought there was going to be way well, I mean, bigger picks, but yeah, um, there was only three. So the only NIV I could find was a woman's devotional Bible. Mm, you can tell it's a woman's Bible because it's pink. Yes. Yeah. They love genderizing, especially at the, especially Zondervan loves genderizing the Bible. I went through and I highlighted all of the text from different sources like who wrote which sources and you can literally see like ah. lines certain lines will come this is Joseph's dreams like you can see 
I got like you. which texts were which and based how they were cut up. That table. Yes. Okay. All based on that table. So if you're interested in seeing how this works, like you could do this. You could buy um, a cheap Bible, uh, get some highlighters, use the um, use the table at the back of that, and kind of see how how uh, at least according to Friedman, uh, these are split up. Sorry. No, it's okay. Just curious what you're. I. Like, people always write in these things, so I was just trying to see. That is one thing that's really interesting to me is then you can go through and see what they underlined. Like, there right. are parts where, like, all of a sudden the J source just cuts into some story, and that's what the lady who owned this before underlined and, and stuff like that. So it's kind of interesting. Apparently, Thursday is actually Thursday. Bruce, <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry, <laughs> just kind of Critic- criticizing her spelling. Yeah. <laughs> she has very nice penmanship, though. Very good. Yeah. Let, let's go back to your past. Yeah. Right. As a Christian, when you were super, when you were super Christian. Right. If the story, if there were stories like that in the Bible, where there was no angel of God, there was no ram that magically appeared. God wasn't like, don't kill your only son. Just kidding. JK, I just wanted to test your devotion, basically. And you're devoted. You were willing to do it. So don't do wait, it. Wait, wait, wait. So if there was no story of the ram. Yeah. If the actual story was that. He did kill He him. did kill his son. Right. Okay. Right. Yep. How do you think that would have changed the way you viewed the religion? Do you think it even would have mattered? I think it would mean I should kill my kids. No. Um, I, I think if it was more, if the, if the Bible was more metal. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like heavy metal. Yeah. Yeah. Then do you think that would have, do you, first of all, do you think that it would change the way Christianity is as a whole? Um, and do you think well, it would have changed your personal experience with the stories. I don't I don't think so. I think because because you know the Bible already says condone slavery as we've talked about it condones slavery and says that how to go about buying and selling slaves and everything. It talks about super sexist shit in mm-hmm, there and mm-hmm. and everything and I don't ascribe to any of that. I never ascribe to any of that, you right. know. I don't think um it might have had some impact when I was younger on my view of women and stuff like that which right. I have had to deprogram from, but, um, you know, at the end of the day, people are going to behave the way they're going to behave. Uh, and religion just kind of gives them an excuse to behave the way they're going to behave, you know? Sure. Uh, so it doesn't really matter whether or not Isaac dies at the end of the day is it just matters whether or not you would kill somebody. You know, because a voice from heaven tells you to. <laughs> yeah. And hopefully you wouldn't. Right. And Isaac doesn't die in the final version of the Torah. And yet there are parents who have killed their kids because God has told them to, right. you know, even today. Right. So, yeah, I think ultimately it doesn't really. It just makes the picture of God seems, I mean, and I know there's. It changes people, it. Yeah. Well, there's people who subscribe to like the God is a vengeful God. Yes. Uh, version of God, but there's a lot of people who believe him to be um, a loving God. Yeah, yeah, and, and more New Testamenty. That would change. It would be hard to tie those two pieces together if, like, in the whole first part of the Bible, he was like, "Kill everybody." Yeah, you know, and also like without Isaac, what would that have meant for the rest of 
that first part of the Bible. Well, yeah. So so Isaac was Jacob's father. So right. who was Jacob's father according to the source, we don't know. Right. But um but yeah, it, it it changes the narrative right dramatically. Yeah. I really think it's important for people who who listen to this podcast who are religious. And I know there's some people out there who are um open-minded enough to realize that like we're not being hateful or anything like that. Sure. Yeah. Um to to really think about how like they view the Bible. Yeah. Because if this is what it is, right? And I believe all of the stuff that you're saying, because logically it makes sense, right? right? There's evidence and people have done research and stuff like that, which I love and appreciate. Yeah. But if if it's true, then how does that change? Like, will it, will that knowledge change your relationship with the Bible? Right. Will you think about it from a different way? A lot of people think of the Bible as like an infallible source of yes. their religion. And maybe it, Especially evangelicals who believe that the Bible like literally is perfect. Right. You know, right. Which is what we kind of keep going on with this. I feel like that's kind of like the focus of our podcast is it's not perfect. No. And that's okay. Yeah. It's totally okay. It's okay. Yeah, it's and not then, meant to be perfect. And then and, and we're not saying like if you believe in the Bible, like stop doing that. Like yeah. it's fine. We don't care what you do with your life. Right. <laughs> Honestly. Uh, but maybe realize that, like, it's not meant to be used the way they're using it. And it should be used as, I don't I don't even know what it should be used as, but not as, like, a set-in-stone set of rules at right. all. Right, yeah. And I just, you know, if we could make one person realize that in their lifetime, then I would feel really good about myself. Yes, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, this, to me, this totally changed my perspective of the Bible, you know, even as, you know, going into this as a non-believer, it, it gave me a deeper respect actually for the original text, mm-hmm. for the, 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 the efforts made by these people to create a national history and a national religion and right. things like that. Like, like how they went about crafting it is in, immensely impressive. Yeah. And we're kind of, kind of get into this a little bit in a little bit when I go through like all the things that I think probably happened, but I walked away from this with a deeper respect for the people of Israel, mm-hmm. really, like the peop the people, like the 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 history of their history and everything. Um, I think it was something I did not fully understand and I still obviously don't fully right. understand it, but I have a better understanding of it than I had before. And even if I don't think it's real, I can, you know, appreciate yeah what they've gone through to establish this. Well, I think it's know. a better book because of that. I think so, yeah. Right? If if you come to that realization, the hiding behind, like, the you're not supposed to understand it and yeah. all of this shit just happened, just believe it happened, is right. really minimizing to a human. Yeah. And to think that people wouldn't understand, like, I would want to know all the effort that was put into this. Right. I would love to know that this was written because some of this was just a way to save people from food poisoning and communicable diseases and how to keep their bodies clean and things like that. Like, I think that stuff is way more important than like Moses talked to a fucking bush. Right. And just believe that that's what happened. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So swinging back to these stories, uh, there's another one. So Jacob acquiring land in Shechem. So the 
town of Shechem was in the northern kingdom of Israel. In the e-source, the one that has an affinity for the northern kingdom of Israel, the, the story of how Jacob gets some land in Shechem is really simple. He just goes and buys land from Shechem's father. If you remember, Shechem's father um, ha- was like the ruler of the area or something like that. The J story, however, is a little different. Okay. That's the story of Dinah. Ah. So in the J version of how Jacob acquires land, you know, Dinah gets either raped or seduced right. by Shechem. And uh, the the brothers, the two, Levi, uh, Levi and, I can't remember now. I like how you're looking at me like, I'm going to remember that. I knew this. The dudes that made all the guys circumcise. Simeon, Simeon and Levi. Circumcise themselves. Yeah, they like, go, they go, and they kill everybody in the town. Yep. And that's how Jacob acquires land. Now, it doesn't say that that's how Jacob acquires land, but that's the implication. Well, yeah, if the owners are dead, you just kind of take that over. I yeah. Think that was the rule back then. So it's a swipe <laughs> at the northern kingdom saying that their claim to the land is illegitimate. Ah. You know, a little bit of infighting in this okay. stuff. Uh, the golden calf story is another great example of infighting because the golden calf story is an E story. So that's the descendants of Moses yep. taking a swipe at Aaron, a big swipe at Aaron. Okay. Because Aaron, that was the one where they were like, Moses went up to the mountain and he was up there for too long. So the people were like, make us gods. Yeah. And Aaron was like, Even okay. Though, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sure. I, yeah, Moses has been gone for a day more than we thought he would. I'll just go ahead and cast this idol out of gold for you. Yeah, yep. Yeah, okay. And there's this whole history to this, like, that the book goes into about how golden calves were set up at these high places by Jeremo- Jeroboam, and the Esaurus took a swipe at those. This is the whole thing about how these priests are still for centralization, but they just want it to be centered in Shiloh. Where that's where everybody comes to do their their um, sacrificing, and then they also are taking a swipe at Aaron with this because they don't think Aaron priests should be the only ones allowed to be priests. Gotcha. And that's why they say in that story, "These are your gods," even though they created one calf. Mm. It's because they're talking about the calves I at gotcha. those two high places. Okay. Yeah. Another interesting thing is the P-Source is the one who came up with Moses' radiant face. Ah. Right? The yeah. face that was radiant and threw off everybody and he had to cover in his, the, he his face with a veil. Because he had soaked up too much God light. Yeah, yes. soaked up too much God yeah, radiation. He had, he had God sunburn. Yeah, yeah. yeah. According to um, Friedman, the word that uh, they used for radiant there's no actual translation for that. Oh. Like, nobody knows what it actually means. So we used to think it meant horns. Face was horny? Yeah, which is why uh, Michelangelo has this beautiful, beautiful uh, statue of Moses that he made that you can find photos of that has what looks like a fucked up head mm. because it, it's like these two giant lumps, it looks like, coming out of Moses' head. Everything else about the statue is absolutely gorgeous. And then it's like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. So it was horns, and then somebody was like, oh, that's too Satan-like? I so don't know. we're going to change it to radiant? Yeah, I don't know what kind of 
came out of that. I, I do know that there's an anti-Semitic shit out there about Jewish people having horns and stuff. I don't know how that played into all this stuff. Somehow, at some point, they changed it to radiant. What Friedman thinks is more likely is that originally it meant disfigured, that Moses' skin was disfigured. And what he was trying to do, this priest uh, was trying to do, was to like put that image in your head of Moses being disfigured by the end of his life and having to wear a veil. Oh. You know, to again diminish Moses and lift up Aaron. So I, I urge everyone to Google the Michelangelo Moses statue. Yeah. Because like I would like it, you're right. It is a beautiful statue. It, he didn't even make the horn symmetrical. No, no, it's, <laughs> it's really weird. just wonkily coming out of the top of his fucking head. Yeah. <laughs> Michelangelo is weird, man. Yeah, yeah. He was very weird. Yeah. That's why it, like, looks like a mistake. It looks like he's wearing, like, a cat ear headband. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's really weird. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So there's that. There's a story about rebellion in number 16 uh, that comes across really weird. Uh, where in the J&E story, it's about people rebelling against Moses and uh, God validates Moses as their leader by opening up the earth and swallowing the people who were against him, right? Right. Meanwhile, there's a totally different story being told by the peace source uh, where these Levites who are not descended from Moses or Aaron are coming up and are rebelling against Aaron that, you know, his claim to being the only lineage for priesthood. And God validates him by having all of them burn incense and then getting swallowed up by fire, just like Aaron's sons did mm. in, in uh, Leviticus. So you get the story where it's like, wait, these people just got swallowed up by the earth and then they also burned up and you're not sure. And it's, you're not sure where they are because they're talking about being at the tabernacle, but also being at these tents of these rebellious people. And you don't know where they are and what's going on with mm -hmm. it. It's because there's two different so sources going. Mm -hmm. There's another one in numbers 25 about pagan whoring, which is where the first half of the pagan story. Pagan whoring? Yeah. Like, like, so so the Israelites, this is actually right after the story of Balaam. Um, the Israelites uh, are getting too familiar with pagans, the right. pagan women in the area. So it's the Moabites. Moabite women are seducing Israelite men and everything. Mm. And there's this whole thing where they are going to, they round up all the men and the women who are mingling and they're going to execute them. Okay. And then the story just stops, um, and we never get the execution well, story. And a new story picks up in the middle of, of the story where this Israelite man and this Midianite woman all of a sudden are walking into the tabernacle, which is not allowed. Only priests are allowed to be in the tabernacle. Right. So Phineas, Aaron's grandson, stabs both of them with a spear, right? Like in one swoop. Okay. Like stabs, stabs the spear through both of them, killing both of them immediately while Moses does nothing. And God creates this covenant with Phineas, with, with the line of Aaron saying, you are the only ones that will be allowed to be priests. Oh. 
Ah, because he protected. So you the can tell who wrote this story. Tabernacle, yeah. Yeah, and then J and E wrote the early version of the the first version of the story that goes through. I think verses one through five, and then the rest the is pagan the pagan story. Yeah. Is it? It's called whoring. I mean, that's uh, pagan whoring. I that's the I think what Friedman called this story was oh. it was the story of pagan whoring, but mm. yeah, I don't know. Mm. I mean, let's be realistic. The pagan women probably did lots of things that the other women wouldn't do. Right? Yeah, yeah. He does call out too that um, the P version of the story is about Midianite women, which Moses' wife uh, was Midianite. You know. Yep. So it's another swipe at him. Man, oh man. Uh, oh, yeah. Guys, your Bible is just a diss track. Yeah, yeah, it really <laughs> I hate is. To, I hate to tell you. <laughs> it really is. And not even like a, a good one, really, honestly. Yeah. So that <laughs> But can, maybe because yeah. it makes you hate things in the Bible without realizing that you're being manipulated in that way. Right. But it, it's so conflicted. That's why, like, when you're reading... This is again what bugs me is like you kind of you you notice these issues when you're growing up in Christianity and stuff like that. You notice little things like this and you bring it up to pastors and and people who are supposed to know more about the stuff than you. Mm-hmm. And they basically treat you like like well you just don't know enough about this stuff mm. which you know you're not a biblical scholar and stuff. Yeah, and, you know, they really things just... things were done differently back then. People wrote differently and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, Really, that's not the case. Right. They're, you're not crazy for being like, wait, why is it like this? You're to- It's totally normal for you to think that, and there are good reasons for it to be like that. Right. Um, that aren't just like, you know, because that's God. And yeah. That's what God wanted. You <laughs> it's know? just a parent being like, because I said so, that's why. Um, so that kind of wraps up the biblical history, like the biblical text history, and which was most of this. Uh, so I do want to go over some archaeology things that I found. First of all, and we already talked about this before, there's no evidence of an exodus. You know, like almost 2 million people leaving um, Egypt all at once. There's no evidence of it. it. Just to reiterate something that I talked about in a previous episode, I looked up 1920s was the earliest population I could find for Egypt. And at that point, they had about 20 million people living in in Egypt. Um, and so this is like 3,500 years earlier mm-hmm. that we're talking about. Uh, and it's unlikely that they had even 10 million. But if there was 10 million, 2 million people leaving, that's like 20% of the Right. Country all of a sudden leaving, yeah. that would leave an archaeological footprint for sure. Sure. Well, and uh, yes, 100%, but also like it would be noted in other other people's writings. Historical yeah. writings. Yeah. yeah. The Egyptians weren't just embarrassed and right. and tried to scrub it or anything like that. Even yeah. if, even so you would still find things that are like not necessarily directly related to it, but people like, who traded with Egypt. Yeah, or yeah. like it was way harder to bring in the crops this year. What there is evidence for a ton of evidence to the point where it's not even really debated as much as anything can't be debated. You know, um, is that Egypt was occupying the land of Canaan during the time when they would have been setting up like the judges, having mm-hmm. the judges overruling them. Never mentioned in the Bible. 
at all that Egypt was occupying this land. They found they have found a ton of Egyptian buildings from around 1200 BCE all throughout the land of Canaan and everything. They found Egyptian pottery, artwork, all that kind of stuff was there. What they were most likely doing was setting up a trade route to this very important city in the north, just north of, of Canaan, called Ugarit, where they would make bronze. You know how to make bronze? No, I Cause, don't. Because I do because of this research. <laughs> you take copper, you have 10 parts copper to one part tin, and you can make bronze. Ah. Um, and in Ugarit, they would get tin from the mines in Cyprus, uh, which is an island right off the coast of, of Ugarit. And copper would come in from Afghanistan about 1,400 miles away. Wow. They had a trade route that long for copper. It was amazing to me that, that they were able to do this. It's so impressive that mm-hmm. we ever had people able to do this on camelback, probably. Yeah. Uh, bringing copper that long. So Ugarit was a very important city uh, for everybody. Um, all the superpowers, uh, we get their bronze, I believe, from, from this city. Hmm. So, and another important point while we're talking about Ugarit is um, they found like 3,000 clay tablets at Ugarit uh, not that long ago that has like all of their mythology um, written down, including like hymns to gods. And we're going to be talking about that in a second. So yeah, Egypt set up a trade route through Canaan to get to this city. They also used that occupation to get olive oil, wine, and resin from the area of Canaan, which were very prevalent in that area. Also around this time, 1208 BCE, we get the Merneptah Stele, which is an Egyptian stele. Uh, It's basically this giant rock that they carved and put a history on. Okay. Okay. And it talks about, I can't remember who the pharaoh was at the time, but that all these conquests that they had in in that area, in the area of Canaan, and this is the first time outside of the Bible, outside of Israel, that the word Israel is mentioned. Mm. Um, so this is the first time that we can confirm that somebody knew of Israel. Gotcha. And what's interesting about it is it says that I have, it said something along the lines of, I have laid waste to Israel. Their seed is no, his seed is no more, is what it says. But of course, you know, kings always embellish. Sure. And and always overstate their yeah. their standpoint, but so they probably got into a fight with somebody, some tribe named Israel, and specifically, um, when you mention a person or a place or a thing, any noun, um, in these in this kind of writing, you would put before it what it was. So if it was a city, if it was a country, or if it was a people, and that's what it put. So it's more likely that it was a tribe, not like a country. Gotcha. At this point. Really nerding out there. Sorry, but it's this okay. is it's really interesting stuff to me just to see like this is what the first time we know that somebody named Israel existed. Um, or some people named Israel existed. And then we get to 1180 to about 1170 BCE. There's there's localized climate change that happens. Okay. Um, there's this massive drought, and then inevitably there would be a famine in the land. Yep. All those stories in Genesis where they talk about um, 
escaping a famine, going to Egypt and going to uh, Abimelech and stuff like that. This is probably what uh, inspired those stories is gotcha. this famine that okay. was severe. There was also infighting. There was, there was either uh, an invasion that happens or there was infighting. They're not really sure what happened there, but there's some sort of fighting that happened um, in the area. There's also really bad earthquakes right around this time. Um, and what this all leads to with all of these problems kind of happening all at the same time is those superpowers, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Babylon, they all recede from the area. And for this brief window of time, the people in, in this land can establish their own nation. And that's what they try to do. So, so the cities are basically abandoned. Mm-hmm. And these tribes from the hills and from the rural areas, they all come in and they start dividing up the land. And that's where we get the land of Israel, basically. Gotcha. The next time we hear about Israel from outside of Israel is the Mesha Stele in 840 BCE. Uh, so that's the next time we're like, okay, they definitely existed at this point, you know? A couple of things I wanted to point out when it comes to mythology is actually like the Noah story uh, seems to be a ripoff from a Sumerian tablet uh, dated at 1600 BCE about a guy named Sudra, the gods decide to wipe out mankind by with a flood. He ends up on a boat while the rain comes for seven days and seven nights. Mm-hmm. And he preserves the animals and the seed of mankind. Oh. Yeah. The and then seed becomes of mankind. Yeah. And then becomes like king of some place. But so that and there's a bunch of different stories like that. This is just the oldest that they've found. Um, but they there have been a bunch of ripoffs of that story across different cultures yep. and stuff like that. Moses, the story of uh, of him being in the basket, mm. you know, specifically that story mm-hmm. of, of the baby Moses in the basket seems to be a ripoff of Sargon the Great of Acadia. Uh, this was around 2000 BC. His mother, who was a high priestess, saves him because he's an illegitimate baby, mm. saves him by putting him in a reed basket and setting him adrift on a river, he gets found by a gardener and raised by this gardener until the uh, the goddess Ishtar takes notice of him and makes him emperor. This is likely where the Moses story comes from. What's interesting about that is that story is only there to explain why the Israelite hero has an Egyptian name. Right. Never again throughout that story is it brought up that he was raised by Egyptian royalty. Now, this is what's really interesting to me is the pantheon of ancient Canaan. The pantheon? Yes. The all the gods that they had in ancient Canaan. Oh, so pre the one singular god. Yes. Their pantheon prior to that. Right. So, the supreme god of their pantheon was named El, which is very similar to Elohim. Um, God throughout the Bible is sometimes referred to as El, especially in poetry, I think in Psalms. Um, he's referred to as El Shaddai, which is God Almighty. Now they say that God might that El might have been a generic name for God, but this God was specifically named El. Okay. 
This god was a bull god. Okay. Heavily associated with bulls, which is very interesting considering how many bulls get sacrificed to God throughout the Bible. He's the father of Baal and Ishtar, both of which are brought up throughout the Old Testament when, when they talk about Israelites falling into idolatry and and paganism and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. They're often worshiping Baal or Ishtar or um, Ashtar, sorry. If the people of Israel came from Canaan, they were just, you know, in the hills and in the rural areas and then came in. This is what they would have been worshiping before uh, Yahweh came around, right? Right. right. His wife was Asherah and Asherah is brought up throughout the Bible. There's They talk about Asherah poles. These were basically like totem poles that were set up outside of temples to El. This was this was El's wife, Ashira. Yes. Okay. Yes. And there's this whole story about Baal fighting the Leviathan, which mm-hmm. was a sea beast. Yep. Um, and there's a bunch of different versions of the story told in Greek and Roman mythology and, and stuff like that. There's also stories about that in the Bible where Yahweh fights Leviathan. Ah. Um, there's several places where they, they talk about it, especially in poetry, which is interesting because the poetry might be much older than the rest of the text. they just like changed the names. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's also, including in that Ugarit, um, the, the tablets that they found at Ugarit, they even found some tablets where they talk about Yahweh being married to Asherah. Ah. So like Yahweh and El mm-hmm. are very similar Right. And that kind of gets into what I think actually happened to all this. Based on everything, all of the research I've done, what I think okay. happened. The Josh the Josh opinion. Yes. Here it is. My takeaways from this. I think after the famine, the tribes came in from the hills and the rural areas. They set up a confederacy of tribes, okay. which was ruled over by a group of judges. Right? That lasted a while until... Somebody named themselves King, Saul. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, the, the people wanted that. Though, right, right? Yeah. 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 And then um, I think before that happened, though, um, the a tribe, the tribe of Levi showed up out of Egypt. I think a much smaller group of people left Egypt. Okay. But if one tribe, the tribe of Levi, came out of Egypt, it would explain why they're the only tribe that does not get an apportionment of land. They're just this nomadic tribe within Israel itself. So they show up after everybody has already been apportioned land. Gotcha. And um, they name themselves the priestly tribe, really. And they, I bet, are the ones who brought Yahweh. Mm. Yahweh helped them get out of Egypt and everything. And they're the ones who are like, Yahweh and El are the same thing which you remember from the story of the burning bush kept coming up over and over again where Yahweh kept saying, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right. You know, we are the same ones. You know, yep. An important thing to also uh, remember is there was no one religion. It'd be kind of like a thousand years from now, people being like, what was the religion of America right. back then? Yeah. You know, There is no one religion right. in this area. So, so these priests are trying to push this monotheistic religion on people and they ultimately end up succeeding, but people keep kind of falling back into paganism too right. at the yeah. same time, you know? It's a little less restrictive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know. 
<laughs> and that's all in the Bible too. Like it's it the, it's one thing that it's well, easy to kind of overlook. But story right where they're like he's like he gives them bread and then and then they fall away from it and they complain and blah blah yeah. blah and then yeah. something else happens to bring them back and then some time goes by and then they're like this is bullshit. <laughs> I'm not getting what I was promised. I'm going to go right. back in this It would direction. have been better if we had died in Egypt. Right, yeah. right. And that's probably, I mean, that has to be like a representation of people being like, okay, well, this isn't really working for me right now. So I'm going to go back to this thing that had been working for me for a really long time before yes. you came along. Yeah. And see what happens. Yeah. It's really common in these cultures back then. You look at Greeks and Romans, how they have the exact same pantheon with different names. Yep. Um, and they share a bunch of the same stories. Samson in the Bible, the, you you probably have heard of him, where he was super strong, and mm-hmm. but until he cut his hair, and oh yeah, the woman he loses. Yeah, his story is likely based on Hercules, right? You know, or Heracles if you're Roman, yeah, right? Right? Yeah. <laughs> so the so going back through what I think happened, there was the split kingdom in 930 BCE. Janie write their historical histories um, with basic laws, uh, or sorry, national histories, not historical histories. <laughs> uh, they write their national histories with basic laws written into them. The North Falls and the Mosaic priests combine the JNE into a unified history. Uh, Aaron priests uh, respond with the P text. Before the South Falls, D writes, um, D is written by Jeremiah. And then during exile, the priests probably worked on the Deuteronomy story to get it to fit into the overall story of the Torah and kind of tie the first four books of the Bible into the next books of the Bible, the the following ones. Post-exile, Ezra establishes the mostly complete first Bible um, under the authority of the Persian emperor. Um, Ezra, by the way, was not a great person. No, we're, Ezra, all, we're all better than Ezra. Yeah, we're all better than Ezra, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was left desperately wanting. <laughs> uh, so Ezra comes in. Um, it's a very short book of the Bible, but uh, his priority seemed to be to go after anybody who was sleeping with foreign wives. You know, anybody who had foreign wives and mm-hmm. and kids with those foreign wives. Ooh. And he got a whole bunch of Israelites, apparently, according to his book of the Bible, got a b- bunch of people to abandon their foreign wives and their kids that they had with those wives. Yeah, it was very, very racially driven. Yeah, yeah. gross. Yeah. And then that leads me to what does this mean for Judaism and Christianity, which we kind of started talking about briefly. For Judaism, I don't think this changes anything. Nothing in the Hebrew Bible says that Moses has to have written the Torah. Right. Whether it was one person, four different people, it could still be the word of God. Sure. You know, there's always that out. If you really want an out, you still have an out for that to be the case. Okay. Christianity is a little different, though. Of course it is. There's a gotcha yeah. in the New Testament where Jesus in John chapter 5, verse 46 says, if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. Oh. So if so Jesus— So they add it later to the Bible saying, hard-coding it in. 
yeah. that Moses wrote it. Well, yeah. So, so basically by this time, by the time Jesus would have come around, especially by the time they would have written about Jesus, the tradition was already established that Moses was the one who wrote mm-hmm. the old, the, the first five books of the Bible. So if Jesus isn't, is God in the flesh, right. Shouldn't God know that Moses didn't write the first five books of the Bible? Right. What does that mean about the Bible? It means that it's imperfect, which is really the only um, thing you can take away from Mm -hmm. this is that the Bible is not perfect and it doesn't have to be. It wasn't meant to be. In fact, Friedman has a really good um, quote in his book that I I took out of this is, uh, there are no words for history or literature in biblical Hebrew. To them, it was a book. You know, it was just a book. Right. It wasn't meant to be an accurate history because they that hadn't really been invented yet. Right. But it was the first stab at a history. Mm-hmm. You and I talked about this the other day about how even in the U.S. we have these stories about George Washington and the cherry yep. tree. Yep. Uh, Paul Bunyan, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. Davy Crockett in the Alamo, all these yep. legends. Johnny Appleseed. Johnny Appleseed. Yeah. All these legends, a lot of stuff like probably isn't true about them and everything. Um, Joel Baden, Baden, Dr. Joel Baden uh, brought up a good point about, you know, if all you knew about George Washington was that um, he chopped down a cherry tree, then everything you knew would be a lie about him. Right. But that does not mean... George Washington didn't exist. Everything we know about Moses might be a lie. Doesn't mean Moses didn't exist. It's very odd that the hero of uh, of Israelites has a, a, an Egyptian name. Right. So that suggests somebody named Moses existed. Right. You know? Yep. And Abraham and, and Isaac and, and Jacob, those were probably people who founded area tribes in mm-hmm. different areas mm-hmm. you know they probably weren't related to each other i mean we're all related to each other if you go far enough back but they probably weren't related to each other they were probably just founders of tribes that sure. that um had traditions and stories that were handed down and then they somebody at some point compiled those into a narrative of them right. being well you know one tribe one tribe intermarried into another tribe right so then their their traditions got yeah. combined to the children yeah. that came up after them and and things like that. So and it's important to remember too again these are this is the borderland between superpowers. It's right by the the coast of the Mediterranean. It is a melting pot of different cultures. Mm-hmm. Um there's a bunch of people, you know, Philistine uh, was right along the coast, modern day uh Giza. It's right along the coast. Philistine was full of people who came from the Mediterranean Sea and just stopped and decided to set down roots there, you know? And so they come with their own ideas of religion, their own ideas about literature and things like that, Um, which is why throughout the Old Testament, Philistine is an evil place, (laughs) you know? But nonetheless, they're going to have an impact on the rest of the the culture in the area. And so I think that's the stuff that I'm kind of taking away from all this. I have very deep respect for the fact that uh, it has survived this long. They built an, something amazing out of it. I don't agree with it. I don't think it was real, but they built something truly amazing yeah, with this. You don't agree with the what it's been turned into. Right. Yeah. 
I, yeah. And literally, like, I don't believe in the God Yahweh yeah. and right. I don't believe in L. Right. But I do believe that what they did was extremely impressive. And I have a new respect for um, Judaism um, as, as a, a religion, as a, as a sort of a history for these people and everything. Um, and I think it's bullshit that they got co-opted by Christians. Yeah. Like, I would be so pissed if I was Jewish that these people came along and have turned it into something that it is not supposed to be. Yeah. I really don't think Christians know how to read the Old Testament. No. Is, is well, one that's why you hear Christians don't lean on that part of the Bible very hard. Unless they want to oppress gay people. Right. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, growing growing up, not religious, but, like, having to go to, like, Catholic Mass and stuff like that. Yeah. Like, you know, you hear about the Jesus story just over and over and over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And, like, Mary and the prostitute that washed Jesus's feet and all kinds of that sort of bullshit. Yeah. And you hear the big stories. You hear about Noah, right? But I'm just now realizing that I probably heard all of those from like children's books. Right. So they're the very much the sanitized basic story. Yeah. Of those stories. Christianity is just the worst. There are plenty of lovely Christians out there. There are, there are. <laughs> Christianity is what you make of it. Yes. You know, yes. If, again, if you're an asshole and a Christian, you're still going to be an asshole. If you're a good person and a Christian, you're still going to be a good person. Yep. It yep. doesn't actually change anything about you. No. One thing I do want to call out, I forgot this along the way, but um, we have two different stories of creation in the Bible as well. There's Genesis 1, which has like the different days Okay. You know, on the yeah. first day, uh, God yep. created so-and-so and blah, blah, blah. Um, and then Genesis 2 is clearly, when you know about this stuff, it's clearly written by somebody else because it's got a very different version of creation. In fact, things get created in a different order. Hmm. Um, and that's, so the first story, the Genesis 1, is written by the priestly source. The second story, this in Chapter two is written by the J source, and that's Adam and Eve, Talking Snake, Garden of Eden, mm-hmm. uh, Cain and Abel, all that kind of stuff. Uh, the priestly source basically is just like God created everything, and then God created humans, you know? Right. Um, and then in chapter two, God creates Adam, creates everything else, then creates Eve, Um and and all that stuff plays out. So it's an, another thing I just wanted to point out. Take another look at that if you're interested. Um, you'll realize just how different the writing styles are when you know that it's written by two different people. So. Right. But I think that's it. I think yeah. that's kind of everything. I do feel you, like. Do you feel like you got it? Like you did a lot of work. Yeah. Do you feel like you got it all out? I think so. Okay. There's like that's the thing, man. Is like. It is a rabbit hole you can yeah. go down. It is such a rabbit hole. Um, and I only let myself go down so far. You could keep going though. Right. But this is what I think is really important. And this is what really bugs me is that none of this gets talked about in churches. No, of course you know, not. Why, it's I mean, too challenging. Yeah. You know, another one of the Bibles I picked up at the um, 
Goodwill is a Catholic Bible. Mm. Uh, it's a New American New American Study or New American this Bible. New American Bible Catholic yeah. Readers Edition. Right. Uh, so this is from the 1970s, and it actually has. I noticed it had footnotes about the documentary hypothesis, where they talk about the different sources and who wrote which. And in the introduction, it gives you a basic breakdown of the documentary hypothesis. So I don't know if Catholics in general are like... No. Catholics talk about the Bible way less than any other Christian religion. Yeah. But they're also like more open to evolution and climate change and stuff like that. You don't have to be creationist to be Catholic and stuff like that. Right. They have some fallbacks too. Uh, in, in Catholicism. You think? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> but, do you think? Yeah. Catholicism is based, so, I mean, Catholicism has its roots in, you know, kings. Like, Catholicism yeah. was created. The Romans. Was created. By the Roman Empire. Yeah. And so, it Catholicism is is much less about, like, let's all read this story together and more like the do what I fucking tell you to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What I would love to see is for pastors to inform their congregation that, hey, there's this whole other layer to the Bible that is gone has gone unseen in evangelical right. circles. You know, Do let's you let's accept pe- it and learn about it and and try and figure out what that what does that mean to our perception of God. You right. Know? But do you think that if we make religion too hard and too educational for people that they'll even want to do it? Fuck no. Right. <laughs> I don't right. know. That, no, well, I yeah. totally agree. That's why I asked the question because yeah. I think I think if you make anything too much like learning. Yeah. I mean, and there are people out there who do religion and yeah. they do it from an educational perspective and they study. But like you did, you studied the Bible. Especially with this, yeah. No, I mean before when you were Christian. Yeah, I mean I read you the Bible. Like, That's like, the thing is like we consider that when you're a Christian, you consider reading the Bible, well, that's what studying I was the Bible. Ask, yeah. Did you do like Bible studies and yeah. stuff like that? The most you would do is like pretty much read commentaries to okay. go along with the Bible, which is kind of what footnotes are in a study Bible. Mm-hmm. Is it's basically a commentary where it gives you an analysis of it as you're going. So you're you're but, you're assuming that somebody has done the work for you already. Yeah, just going off of what they say. You take it from authority figures, right? You know? But you don't know who the authority is, right? And you don't know where they're getting their information. You don't know how from. accurate it is, yeah? Right. Okay. So, um, but you trust it because that's ex- what's accepted within right. the religion, you know. Meanwhile, there's this whole other thing going on in actual scholarly circles mm. that you have no idea exists. Right. It's insane to me that n- nobody knows about the documentary hypothesis. Like, people do. Right. It is known, but not by most Christians. I had never heard about this, and it's been around for centuries. Yeah. You know, like and that's it makes insane to me. Sense the minute you hear it. Yeah. And you hear the brief explanation. So like I always just assumed the Bible was written by a bunch of different people and mushed together. Right. It makes sense. Which is what like the Bible as a whole has, Yeah. You no, know, I we meant, all like, know actual, about but like the actual yeah. individual books yes. and stuff. Yeah. Yes. Because and I didn't really read too much into the Bible because probably I was like, This is <laughs> this is really boring and uh, not well written. Yeah. Um but like it it's and it's better written broken apart. Yeah. Which is interesting. It's it's 
logical to me. I didn't want to say it's insane to me that people believe this. It's logical to me that it would be written and put together by yeah. different people. Right. And I think that because I was coming at it from a point of view of like, I don't buy into any of this, that it was easy for me to see because I wasn't coming at it as a, as a source of like how to live my life. Right. And I think when people go at it from that perspective, it's real easy just to assume that it's written the way it needs to be to help you. Right. Yeah. And you don't think about how it's written because why do you need to do that? It's vague enough that you can read it and fill in who God is according to your perspective of what your ideal self is. I think like this is really getting out there. and, (laughs) And to me, I think God is our ideal selves. I think that is who we always perceive God to be, is who we wish we were. Then there's a lot of really fucked up people out there. There are. There are. (laughs) That, it it really does. It says more about you than it does about God when you, all you care about is that uh, God hates fags. Right. You know? Yep. And stuff like that. Like, that says way more about you than it says about God. That was a sign that was held up Yes. By yeah. the Westboro Baptist Church consistently at all of their protests. Right. It wasn't, that wasn't a statement. When they were, pro- yes, made. exactly. When <laughs> when they were protesting, you know, soldiers' funerals yes. and stuff like that. Yes. Yep. Assholes. Yeah. Um, so even, even on that note, right, like just as a little bit of a side investigation for people to do for themselves, Megan Phelps, who left the Westboro Baptist Church, has done TED Talks. She did a podcast with Kevin Smith. She did a podcast with Joe Rogan. Those are both really interesting because it's not her coming at her experience. It's really just, you know, Joe Rogan, especially like you can get real down and dirty. Oh, he's weird. With him. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and, you know, it's just, it's really interesting to hear the experience. So like even your experience having gone from somebody who was very Christian to somebody mm-hmm. who didn't believe in anything, hers is just magnified times 100 because yeah. of the family that she came from and how yeah. intense they were in their beliefs. And you were talking about how they did not read the parts of the Bible that were about loving nope. your your fellow per- nope. humans yeah. and stuff like that, like loving everybody and stuff like that. They only focused on the negative, yep. essentially. Yep. Um, yeah. And that has a big impact on you. So you can take the the Bible and create your own religion out of it that is completely unique from other religions. Mm-hmm. Call yourself Christian and just focus on the negative if you want to. Yep. Um, or you can just focus on the positive, uh, which I think would be a better path to if, take. If you're going to you know? focus on one thing. <laughs> yeah. Let's focus on the positive, you know. Um, and I don't, and I can respect that. I can respect people who want to literally be better people because, uh, like through, right. through meditation and, and introspection on, of, of the Bible and everything, uh, just don't use it as a weapon against right. people, you know? Uh, so that's it. That is basically the biblical history. That's kind of the wrap up to, I was thinking for season one. Oh. Of the episode of this of the show. I didn't know we were at our season finale. I kind of dressed think so. up. I, <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's I think I had a cocktail ready and everything. <laughs> How dare I'm kind of th- thinking then, you know, we'll start. I'm not saying we're even necessarily gonna take a break right. uh or anything, but um 
next, I want to go into the New Testament. Okay. I want to start talking about uh, and probably dive in deep into the Gospels. Right on. Like, let's go straight for Jesus. Oh, you know? coming for you, Jesus. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we took that first swipe with uh, you talking about Moses. <laughs> We're uh, we're gonna be digging into it. I wanna I wanna talk about the gospels, probably comparing them together and stuff like that, and seeing sure. how they they interact. So stay tuned for those episodes. Um, again, we have uh, a deeper dive into some of this stuff on the website. Look up episode ten on on BibleStoriesForAtheists.com. Yeah. Uh, for a deeper dive into this stuff. Um, and, you know, hit the contact button on there and send us notes of love. Yeah. Or let us know what you think, too. Like, if Questions. you have your own thoughts. Yeah. 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 Questions you want our take on? Because, obviously, we have n- no answers. Right. I mean, we can help try and find some answers. Yeah, but it's it's really silly to think that this podcast has the answers, right? Like, right. if you're out there thinking that we have the answers, I'm just letting you know no. that we definitely do not no. have. This is just. But if anybody has the answers, it's, it's the people. Me, it's, but- well, no, if anybody has the answers, it's the people who are, like, professionally studying yes. this stuff. And we can, and, and Josh, not we, I'm sorry. Josh can point yeah. you in their direction. <laughs> right, Because I exactly. don't, I'm not, no. Yeah. <laughs> And with that, as always, they all live miserably ever after. Thank you so much for checking out our podcast. Help us share the good news by sending this to a friend or leaving a review to help others find us. And if you want to support us with a donation, you can do that on our website at bsfa.cc. It was hard back then. There was toilet paper. <laughs> you think it was bad <laughs> during the pandemic not having toilet paper? They never had never, toilet paper. Never. Hands all the way. Yeah. <laughs>